Maharaj Prabhupada Ki Jai. Vishnan founder Atariya Shila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Nandipati Vaishnava Rinda Ki Jai. Namacharya Shila Haridas Thakur Ki Jai. Prem Shikaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nichananda Shri Adwaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhakti Rinda Ki Jai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gaur Gopinashan Mukunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai. Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai. Matura Dhamma Ki Jai. Navadweep Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai. Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai. Yandumai Jamuna Devi Ki Jai. Bhakti Devi Ki Jai. Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai. Salaveta Bhakti Rinda Ki Jai. Gaur Premanande. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to Sri Guru and Sri Goranga Namaha. Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale, Sri Mate Bhaktivedanta Swami Nitinamane. Namaste Saraswati Deve Goravani Pacharane Nirvasesha Shunyavadi Paskachare Satarane Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavamscha Shri Yutam Vajatam Sahagana Raganatham Bitam Sam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lavita Shri Vishakam Bitamscha Vanchakalpa Tarivyascha Kripasindu Vyedita Patitanam Parvanavyo Vaishnavavyo Vimodama Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Bhagavate Vasudevaya So it's October 2nd, 2015, Skype class from Hilo, Hawaii. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 6, Creation of the Universal Form, Text 28. Atyantikena Satvena Divyam Deva Prade Dire Dharam Raja Swabhavena Panayo Ye Chatananu Antikena Satvena Tivangiva <laughs> Atyantikena <laughs> 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 
share my screen after we read the purport? Yes. Okay. Atyantikena. Excessive. Satvena. By the mode of goodness. Divam. In the higher planets. Devaha. The demigods. The demigods. Prapedire. Have been situated. Have been situated. Dharam. On the earth. On the earth. Raja. Raja. The mode of passion. The mode of passion. Swabhavena. Swabhavena. By nature. By nature. By nature. Panayaha. The human being. The human being. Yay. 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 All those. All those. Cha. Cha. Also. Also. Tan. Tan. There. 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 Anu. Anu. Subordinate. 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 Muted. Unmuted. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. The demigods, qualified by the super-excellent quality of the mode of goodness, are situated in the heavenly planets, whereas the human beings, because of their nature in the mode of passion, live on the earth in company with their subordinates. Purport. In Bhagavad Gita 14, 14-15, it is said that those who are highly developed in the mode of goodness are promoted to the higher heavenly planetary system, and those who are overpowered by the mode of passion are situated in the middle planetary systems, the earth and similar planets. But those who are surcharged with the mode of ignorance are degraded to the lower planetary systems or to the animal kingdom. The demigods are highly developed in the mode of goodness, and thus they are situated in the heavenly planets. Below human beings are the animals, although some of them mingle with human society, cows, horses, dogs, etc., are habituated to living under the protection of human beings. The word atyantikena is very significant in this verse. By development of the mode of goodness of material nature, one can become situated in the heavenly planets. But by excessive development of the mode of passion and ignorance, the human being indulges in killing the animals, 
who are meant to be protected by mankind. Persons who indulge in unnecessary animal killing have excessively developed in the modes of passion and ignorance and have no hope of advancing to the mode of goodness. They are destined to be degraded to lower statuses of life. The planetary systems are calculated as upper and lower in terms of the classes of living entities who live there. Ajantikena satvena divyam deva prapedire dharam raja swabhavena panayoye chetananu the demigods qualified by the super-excellent quality of the mode of goodness are situated in the heavenly planets, whereas the human beings, because of their nature and the mode of passion, live on the earth in company with their subordinates. Okay, so uh, here it says that according to our nature, Swabhavena, we are living on different planets. Dharam. So I thought we would take a look here at the modes of material nature. So why should we be concerned at the modes of material nature? Well, they're just like a a rope that's binding us to this world. And whatever we do in this world, anything, how we perceive things, uh, we tend to think that certain things happen and because of those certain things I have certain beliefs, but it's actually just the opposite. According to the modes of nature I'm in, I have certain beliefs, and those beliefs color my perception. If I believe that somebody is my enemy, then I'll see everything they do as aggressive. And if I believe that they're my friend, uh, if they're insulting, I consider it playful. So uh, everything we perceive is due to our modes. And my choices I make, my ability to make choices, my clarity of perception in making choices and the kind of things I find enjoyable, what kind of health I have, how my body functions, the kind of happiness and how much happiness I have, the kind and amount of knowledge that I have, and what happens because of my actions. What do I get from my actions? So the scientists are looking for a unifying principle. They want something that can be put on a T-shirt that says, okay, this is the essence of material nature. Well, this is it. The three modes of material nature, this is the essence So our laws of chemistry, physics, and mathematics do not work the same on the other planets as they do on this planet. But the three modes of nature are acting the same all over the universe. And we're controlled by these modes. I think that this point is probably one of the most difficult to accept, that the modes are controlling us. We are really like a puppet. The modes of nature are something like an intoxicant. When a person takes a drug or alcohol, then until that effect wears off, their behavior is controlled by that drug. Even if it's a very mild drug like caffeine or tobacco or something, it changes one's perception, it changes one's desires. And, you know, Arjuna asks, why do we do sinful things seemingly against our will? And Krishna says, it is our lust. So the modes are our flavor of lust. And we're going to look first, um, although this verse today is just about the modes of nature, we're also going to look first at bhakti, because not only are there places to live in the modes of goodness and the modes of passion and the modes of ignorance, but there's also places to live for those who are in bhakti. So if one has bhakti, this is uh, exemplified by yoga. It's akarma, activities done in bhakti are liberating. They don't produce a material result. 
the action in bhakti is liberating loving action one's senses are filled with attraction one wants to see the lord smell the lord touch the lord taste the lord etc one's emotions are full of various loving ecstasies and there's an unlimited number of planets where those who are in bhakti reside there's an unlimited number of vaikuntha planets there's many realms of in goloka vrindavan dwaraka mathura vrindavan in vrindavan there's different realms as explained nicely by uh, Rupa, Jiva, and uh, Goswamis and Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur. Then there's a the mode of goodness. In the mode of goodness, persons usually perform karma yoga, um, or sometimes gyan yoga. Activities strictly in the mode of goodness can also be a karma, if you're very much in the mode of goodness. So if there's very little contamination from passion and ignorance, then you will want to do activities of karma yoga, and you're interested in liberation. So in bhakti, one's interested in loving service, and in sattva, one's interested in liberating action. It's interested, the word sattva, which means goodness, also means truth. And sat, of course, also means eternal, which reminds us of how Krishna says that something that is real is eternal and something that is not real is temporary. So sattva has to do with the real, that which is always real, not that which is real for a moment, but that which is always real and true and authentic. Here the senses are illuminated not by the form of the Lord, but by knowledge and understanding. And there's a feeling of happiness and knowledge. Now this feeling of happiness and knowledge is kind of touching the spiritual, but it's not fully spiritual because there's still an ego. The ego in goodness is, wow, I'm, I'm floating above everybody. I'm not affected by anything in the world. I'm, I'm not like these people who are affected. I'm, I'm better than them. You know, oh, look at these people criticizing each other and fighting with each other. I'm so much better than that. I, I don't indulge in these things. And there, there's a real sense of happiness and knowledge, though it's a limited it's limited. In bhakti, the happiness is unlimited and ever-expanding. In the mode of goodness, it's, it's limited. But it is the only mode in which a person is experiencing anything that could be called happiness. So if one wants to be happy in the material world, the, one has to take up the mode of goodness. In the mode of goodness, one is basically, generally, happy. One is peaceful. One is equipoise. Then rajas, the word rajas is quite interesting. And I think that among devotees of Krishna that I've, I've met and interacted with, the mode of passion tends to be the least understood. So the word Raja means king, and if one thinks about Rajas in terms of a king, then I think that one can understand this mode. Because those who die purely in the mode of passion, Prabhupada says, become a king, a leader of persons, a very rich person. So don't think of a medieval king, think about a Vedic king. So these people are interested in karma. They're interested in pious actions to enjoy the world, and their desires and longings are unlimited. And they're doing things for themselves, although they may do things for the good of the world. They're doing things for gain in the world. Those in sattva are doing things for liberation and peace and equanimity. Those in rajas are doing things to get things in the world. And rajas is characterized by bigger, better, bigger, better. I mean, bhakti also has bigger, better, bigger, better. Bhakti is, you know, more love, more love, more love, more service, more service, you know, more glories, more sweetness. Uh, Sattva is equilibrium, balance, and rajas is more sense gratification, more sense gratification, more sense gratification. 
there's great attachment and intense endeavor. And in the mode of passion, there's some happiness, uh, but the happiness is of the senses and the mind. It's not an internal happiness. And there's also uh, suffering of the body and the mind. And we have this carrot here because the mode of passion is very much about fruitive work, about getting the fruit of your work uh, in the mode of goodness. It's about being in the moment and balanced in the mode of passion. It's about, I'm going to work hard as the doer. I'm going to, you know, conquer the world or my little world, depending on how much karma you have. And I'm going to enjoy the fruits of my work. The person in passion is very, very fixed on the fruit of their work, and they will do any endeavor or any sacrifice in order to get some specific material fruit. So Srila Prabhupada writes in 1.2.24 that the Rajas stage of life gives us a slight clue to the realization of the absolute truth in the forms of five fine sentiments in philosophy, art, and culture with moral and ethical principles, because Rajas typifies the king. So the king is interested in justice, morality, uh, what we call dharma what we call dharma. So those in sattva, they're interested in moksha, and those in rajas, they're interested in dharma. Hmm? Dharma and some artha, some economic development and some... But also they're interested in dharma. And if you see people who are always fighting for justice and always talking about fairness and morals and ethics, and, and if, especially if they're always fighting about them, if they're always you know fighting to expose the unrighteous and they're, they're probably in this mode of passion. Then we have the mode of ignorance. In the mode of ignorance, people are also interested in a fruit, like those in the mode of passion. However, they're not interested in intense endeavor to get those fruits. They want to get those fruits through uh, vikarma, through sinful action. Uh, they want to do as little endeavor as possible. And basically, they're trying to cheat so if they want to have a higher consciousness, they take some chemical instead of uh, leading a life of austerity, right? If they want some money, they cheat and they steal. So this is, uh, they want some fruit of results, but they want them immediately, no matter what. The person in passion wants fruit of results, but they're willing to work hard for them through pious action. And the mode of ignorance is only suffering. There's really only suffering. I mean, there's a kind of, sort of, kind of happiness of I'm so bad and I'm so clever, but it's, it's really just suffering. In the mode of passion, there's some enjoyment legitimately earned for the senses and the mind, uh, some inner sense of I'm a good person, I do the right thing, you know, I'm a righteous person. In the mode of goodness, there's, there's some happiness of this equilibrium and freedom and the mode of ignorance, it's simply suffering. So the mode of ignorance leads uh, to animal life, uh, to criminality, to demoniac planets. So why are we interested in the mode of goodness? We're not interested in the mode of goodness because we want to go to the higher planets, hopefully. Uh, certainly there's advantages on the higher planets, but we have a big advantage on this earth planet because Krishna's pastimes are very human-like. And here on this planet is the proper springboard to go to Vraja. We see this fact very clearly in the Brihad Bhagavatamrita. The Gopakumar keeps coming back to the earth planet. And the earth planet is really a springboard for Vraja. Now, of course, one can go anywhere in the spiritual world from the upper planets. That's stated many times in the Shastra. But the earth planet is the easiest place to go to Vraja. But that's not really, you know, our point then. 
Our point in the mode of goodness is not to go to the heavenly planets. So why are we interested in the mode of goodness at all? Why just say, well, we're not interested in any modes? Because one has to act somehow within this world. If we didn't do anything that appeared to be in any modes, we'd be just an avidutta, separate from society. So our general action is in the mode of goodness, and the reason is given here in this purport to 719 of the Bhagavatam, where Prabhupada says, Krishna is prepared to give bhakti yoga to everyone, but one must be capable of receiving it. That is the secret. According to one's attitude, Krishna becomes one's direct advisor, or Krishna becomes unknown, and that's not Krishna's partiality. It's his response to our ability to understand him, and our ability to understand him is predicated on our degree of the mode of goodness. And as Prabhupada says here, the more one is covered by Rajagun and Tamagun, the less visible his brilliance, for he's covered by these qualities. So we can think of it, if you have windows in your house and you have dark, black, thick curtains on them, the sun is shining on the windows, but it can't get in. You can't see anything. And if you have translucent windows, like we have in most bathrooms, the sun can get in, but you can't see any forms. And if you have transparent windows, the sun can get in. Bhakti is like not having a window at all. It's like being directly outside. But if we want to go outside into the free light and the spirit, as Srila Prabhupada says, uh, we would like to at least have our windows be clear so we can see how to get there. We can, we can experience Krishna. We can receive his directions. So destination, and of course this is the main point of today's verse. So bhakti, if it's incomplete, our destination is either a higher planet or a family of yogis on the earth planet. And Prabhupada says it's higher to take birth in a family of yogis on the earth planet than on a heavenly planet. And if bhakti is complete, one goes to the spiritual world. Of course, one first goes to Krishna's lila in the material world where he's having his pastimes. Uh, One in goodness, if one is, uh, again, this is degrees. Uh, All of us have degrees of these modes and mixtures of these modes. So if one is primarily in goodness, one goes to the higher planets. And there's higher and higher and higher planets. There's the planets of Indra, then there's the planets of the Prajapadis, then there's the planets of the, the renunciates and the sages, and there's Brahma's planet, and there's so many, so many higher planets. Uh, if one's mostly in the mode of goodness, but not high enough to go to heaven, then one can take birth, Prabhupada says over and over again, as a poet or a scientist. So people who are interested in truth... I was talking to someone the other day who wants to be a scientist uh, about who he wants to marry, and he said he wants to marry someone who's not going to be expecting to make a lot of money. And I said, well, it's very common that people who are interested in science are also not interested in making a lot of money. It's the mood of the mode of goodness. If one's in passion, one gets a human body on this earthly planet. Of course, there's other earthly planets. This is not the only one. And if one is very much in passion, one has a great position of power and wealth. Because remember, very much in passion means pious action. So someone who's very much in passion is engaged in good karma. Most of the good karma in the world is done by people in the mode of passion. Uh, Anything on a grand scale. Those in the mode of goodness like to do things uh, that are good karma, but they tend to do them on a smaller scale. And in ignorance, one will take birth on the lower planets as a demon in animal life. Or, you know, if it's mixed, you may be born in a, as a human being, but in a family of criminals or in the middle of a war, very ugly and, and with terrible diseases and so forth. So there's, 
there's some kind of mixture here. And I think the point of today's verse 3628 is that swabhava, each particular abode is perfectly suited for our nature, just like we can see that among the animal species, the camel is perfectly suited to be in the desert, right? And then you have certain creatures that are perfectly suited to be in the forest. So it really, we're suited to our environment. We're given the environment that's perfect for us. And this fact is why if we want to change our environment, we should change our consciousness. Most of us aren't perfectly satisfied with our environment and we spend a lot of time and trouble and energy trying to change our environment, not realizing that we've been given this particular environment, the particular people with whom we're interacting because of our consciousness. And this is true even in bhakti. If you have a lower consciousness, then if, you, you know, if you're always criticizing and finding fault, and then you'll, so you'll attract other fault finders. If you want to attract great devotees, if you're complaining, you know, none of the devotees are in bliss anymore and they're all fallen, change your own consciousness and you will attract a different kind of associate. All right, worship in bhakti is of a personal god. In goodness, people worship the demigods. In passion, they worship the demons. Um, they worship, in other words, people who are very successful in the world. In ignorance, they worship ghosts and spirits. Now, we just have a note here that in Ishapanishads, it says that worship of the demigods is in the mode of ignorance. And that's because it depends on your mood. We had persons who were very much in the mode of ignorance and passion, people like Ravana Haranyakashipu, who worshipped the demigods. And as far as worshipping the demons, we see today in human society people who uh, worship, not in a technical sense, but political leaders, entertainers, and, and so forth. And then... Uh, looking at food. So food above the modes is food in the mode of goodness that's offered to the Lord with love, preferably grown by devotees, cooked by devotees, etc. Then in goodness are things which increase your duration of life, which is interesting because sometimes we read about how our duration of life is fixed, but what's fixed is not the number of years. What's fixed is the number of breaths and heartbeats and food in the mode of goodness makes our heart and our lungs work better and we live longer. And they purify our existence. When you eat food in the mode of goodness, it opens up your consciousness and your mind. I mean, I've talked to people who really purified their diet and they found that their degree of empathy really increased. And food in the mode of goodness gives you strength, health, happiness, satisfaction. It's juicy, it's wholesome, it pleases to the heart. And Vishnu Chakavati Thakur says that something in the mode of goodness is earned with pure money, cooked purely, served in a pure place by pure people. That it's agreeable to both the stomach and the eye. It's not fatty, but it has some oil. Of course, the best oil is ghee. Our brain is 60 to 70% fat. And ghee and, and butter and cream nourishes our brain. And food in the mode of passion is basically too much. Too much, too much, too much. Again, think of this king who's always trying to expand his kingdom and is too bitter, too salty, too hot, too pungent, too dry, too, 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 too something, too much. And these foods increase misery and disease. So all of the Ayurvedic tastes are definitely, should be there. It's not that food in the mode of goodness is bland food, but it's properly seasoned. It's not excessive. Um, 
And Vishnu Chakravarti Tarakura says that distress is felt while eating, misery after eating, and disease is the long-term effect. So it, you know, you think about a, a lot of the foods today that are over-salted, over-sweetened, things like that. Then food and the motive. Ignorance probably refers to in this verse animal killing. So uh, these are things that are old, they're decomposed, uh, they're tasteless. Again, I've had people think that food and the mode of goodness has to be bland, but something that has no taste is actually in the mode of ignorance. And decomposed, um, leftover food from someone else's eating, meat, fish, eggs, intoxicants, and they make us suffer in this life, and they pull us down in the next life. Then there's sacrifice in the mode. So in goodness, in bhakti rather, one does a sacrifice that's apparently in the mode of goodness, but to please Krishna. Uh, the aim is I want Krishna to smile. So I'm, I'm doing some sacrifice so Krishna will be happy. In goodness, one does a sacrifice according to the scripture. One doesn't make up one own kind of sacrifice. And it's interesting that we say it's a matter of duty, but this duty is not obligation. It's not a matter of obligation. We say it's a matter of duty. The person in the mode of goodness does the right thing because it's the right thing and makes them feel balanced inside. It just, it just feels right. It feels balanced because it feels equipoised. And they don't want a reward in this world. But those in goodness want liberation. So they're doing the sacrifice, not so Krishna will smile, but so they'll merge into the Brahmin or so they'll join with the Paramatma, or maybe even the idea that they'll go to Vaikuntha. That's one of the offenses on chanting, to think, you know, this is some uh, ritualistic activity that's going to give me Vaikuntha. So those are not considered a reward, uh, because they're all spiritual things. So someone in goodness is thinking, you know, I want something, I want to attain the spiritual for myself, I'm not doing this for anything in this world, I'm doing it because it's the right thing, it puts me in balance and harmony and I follow the scripture. Now the person in passion, interestingly enough, they also follow the scripture. They don't make up sacrifices, but their purpose in doing sacrifice is to get something in the world. They're, they want to get more money, they want to get more fame, they want to get a better family, whatever, and they want to say, yes, I am a great person, everybody see how great I am. In ignorance, people make up their own sacrifices. And I find it significant that in ignorance, they don't distribute sanctified food and they don't have hymns, they don't pay the priests and they don't have faith. I find this interesting because we have a long-running discussion about whether or not uh, people who are doing service for Krishna should receive some sort of payment. And the principle is that when one does service, one should be doing it without regard for a payment. At the very least, one would be doing that service even if no payment was forthcoming. In other words, if you didn't need the money, you'd still be doing the service. But the other side of the principle is that those accepting the service, those using the service, should give uh, remuneration to the priest. So the pujari shouldn't be getting a salary, but the members of the congregation should be naturally giving them donations. The cook shouldn't be getting a salary, but the members of the congregation should be naturally giving donations. And if they're not, that activity is in the mode of ignorance. So if we're not giving gifts and, and donations and charity to those who are doing devotional service full-time, then our actions are in the mode of ignorance. The problem is at the modern day and age that people don't spontaneously do that. I mean, 
I had someone write me an email recently criticizing a devotee because he charged money for astrological readings, and I, I didn't bother to respond. But I was thinking, you know, the Brahmins pretty much need to do that. When we were running a Gurukula, first when we were running a Gurukula, we had our own business, and uh, the Gurukula didn't, we didn't take up any money from the Gurukula at all. In fact, we were spending up to $3,000 a month from our own business to maintain the Gurukula. And then later on, as we were retiring, then the Gurukula was maintaining us. And uh, not with a salary, just with our needs. But it was interesting, you know, if, if we had said to people, okay, there's not a set fee, then somebody would come and, you know, give me a sari or give me a bag of rice or something. And there was no possibility of paying the mortgage on the Gurukul building, paying for the electricity, you know, buying all the equipment. You couldn't go to the store and say, you know, here, here's a sari, can we get a whiteboard for our kids? So the un- unfortunate reality is that many times people have to set some sort of a, a set fee or a set salary uh, just because the mentality of giving remuneration to the priests is, is very much lacking in much of modern society and without any faith. Okay, what about austerity? So everyone has to do some austerity. You can't do anything in this world without austerity. Krishna says that, that the all-pervading transcendence is found in acts of sacrifice, and that uh, everything's done by penance and austerity. So someone in bhakti does goodness types of austerity. Again, so Krishna will smile. That's the purpose. Will Krishna smile? Will Krishna be pleased? Uh, those in goodness do a threefold austerity of the body, words, and mind, which we'll get into in detail in a minute. Those in passion tend to do the same austerities as those in goodness, but their purpose is pride, respect, honor, and worship. And please note that the person in goodness and the person in passion may have very similar external activities. The main external difference between the goodness and passion person is that the passion person always wants more, bigger, more, bigger, more, bigger. Of course, because the person in bhakti also wants more, bigger, more, bigger. Uh, They may appear to be a person in the mode of passion. But the main difference between passion and goodness is the mood. So the person in passion... They're saying, you know, well, I'm going to worship my superiors so that I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go to heaven. I'll worship my superiors so people will think I'm a great person. Uh, I'll tell the truth so I'll be celebrated throughout the world as a truthful person. And the person in the mode of goodness, they're telling the truth so they can just feel wonderful inside. And the person in bhakti is telling the truth so Krishna will smile. Then in ignorance, they do the wrong kind of austerity. They do austerity that hurts themselves and that hurts others. So they, they do things that are, are harmful to others. A lot of the uh, sacrifices and austerities in the modern world are done in this way. A lot of the way the, the food is grown, the medicines are created, actually hurts oneself and others. So we're going to look at a little detail of this threefold austerity of in goodness, because the devotee does this austerity in goodness, but instead of doing it for liberation, uh, they do it to please Krishna. So worshiping the Lord, the brahmanas, the guru, the parents, uh, anyone who's a superior, showing them respect. And this point is, I think, a little difficult in modern society. Uh, people are so fed up with uh, bad leaders that they think that no superior should be shown respect. But showing respect to superiors is something that keeps society together. Without it, everything immediately falls apart. Then cleanliness, Srila Prabhupada really emphasized cleanliness way, way beyond anything that uh, his disciples had encountered. 
uh, uh, simplicity. So voluntarily not having more than what you need. You know, you get something, then you give something away. Nonviolence doesn't just mean uh, physical, it means mental, intellectual, not doing anything harmful. And celibacy, of course, includes appropriative sex within marriage. So celibacy doesn't demand 100% celibacy. Most people can't do that between age you know, 20 to 50. But it does mean that one's sex life is according to the rules of Dharma. Then austerity of speech. So words that are truthful, pleasing, beneficial, not agitating to others and based on the Vedas. And I'd say that this is one of the most important austerities in the mode of goodness, one that people seem to have a lot of trouble with. Right? So whenever we speak or write something, we should ask, is this true? Is, are we sure it's true? And is it a truth that can be supported in the scriptures if relevant? Obviously, if we're just telling someone how to get to the shopping mall, it's not going to be in the scriptures. But it should be truthful. And then beneficial. Beneficial. Of the five austerities of speech, the top one is beneficial. So, first of all, it will benefit someone if they're receptive. We have the offense on chanting about preaching the glories of the Holy Name to the faithless. And that basically deals with trying to force truth on someone who's not receptive. So someone can't benefit if they're not receiving it. It's a waste of our shakti, and it can actually make the person angry and offensive. So our speech should be only to receptive persons, and not only the truth, but the manner in which I'm presenting it is that going to benefit them. And this is the idea of pleasing and not agitating to others. Is it in pleasing language? Not agitating to others is about the language. Pleasing is about the message. So if we present truth to a willing person, but in a way they're not likely to receive it, then that's also not speech in the mode of goodness. So truth has to be truth. The message itself should be pleasing. The language should be poetic and beautiful. The person should be receptive. And we should be presenting things in a way that the person is likely to receive it. And we have a quote here from 11.23.3. Sharp arrows which pierce one's chest and reach the heart do not cause as much suffering as the arrows of harsh, insulting words that become lodged within the heart when spoken by uncivilized men. An austerity of the mind uh, to be satisfied with whatever, as Krishna says in the 12th, end of the 12th chapter, to be silent and satisfied with anything. Remember, it's the mode of passion that's very much this more, better, more, better. Of course, the devotee is not satisfied with their degree of love and bhakti. They never think, well, now I'm a perfect devotee. But materially, to be satisfied. That doesn't mean one never tries to improve one's situation, but the mind is always satisfied. A simple life. Gravity, gravity doesn't mean there's no humor in life. Shiva Prabhupada was a very humorous person. But one is not frivolous. And then the mind should be controlled and one should be focused on purifying one's existence. So each of these is more difficult. The body is difficult, speech is more difficult, and the mind is more difficult. And when one has attained this a fixed austerity in body, mind, and words, then one attains the state of being fixed in Brahma-Bhuta. Uh, particularly when body, mind, and words are not just fixed in goodness, but when they're fixed in bhakti. Now, we note that this stage, the control, is not yet spontaneous. 
it's still used with willpower. And that Vishnu Chakravati Thakur also says one generally becomes fixed first in body, then in words, and then in mind. But sometimes it goes in another order. All right, charity. I think this is a very important point about charity. In goodness to please Krishna is the way one does charity in bhakti. And charity doesn't just mean money. Charity means time. In fact, for most of us, time and money are very equivalent. Unless one's gotten one's money through an inheritance, which then implied some time in a previous life, generally our money comes from working. And working means our time and energy. And the money represents a certain amount of time and energy. So if I make $30 an hour and I give you $30, I've given you an hour. If I give you an hour, I'm giving you $30. So I can also give charity of things. I can give charity of cars and clothing and animals and food and so many things. So whenever we're giving something, uh, in bhakti, we give it in the mood of goodness, but to please Krishna. In goodness given out of duty, again, this is not obligation. Very important. It's not obligation. Out of obligation is passion. It's a sense that this is what's right to be done. It's right. It's the right thing to do. It will make me balanced. It will make me in harmony. Without expecting the person to give you back, I've given you so much. What are you doing for me? You know, we count. We keep score. You know, I've given you this, 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 and you've only given me this, 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 this. Then this proper time and place seems to be a big theme in the Bhagavad Gita as far as the modes of material nature. So not only the right thing, but the right time and the right place. And to the right person here in the mode of goodness. So if you've got the right person, but you don't have the proper time and place, it's not exactly in the mode of goodness. Then in passion, we have all these things of the proper time and place and worthy person. That's there in the mode of passion, but the mood is different. I'm doing this to get something back. And we can see this when someone says, you know, I gave 10 years of my life to the ashram and what did Iskand do for me? Then that charity of time and effort was in the mode of passion. In a grudging, oh, I don't want to do this. Okay, I'll do it. I guess I have to. I'd rather not. All right. Uh, with regret later. You know, I gave the best years of my life. I, I knew a devotee who gave all of her inheritance to buy a temple, and all she ever did was lament about it afterwards. Uh, especially her husband did. You know, we gave everything. What has this con done for us? Now we have nothing for ourselves. And out of obligation, Prabhupada says at the request of a superior, if someone says you should give and therefore you give, that's very much in passion. And we should be careful of this because... I think that even as devotees of Krishna, sometimes we encourage people to give charity in the mode of passion. We try to make them feel an obligation, we pressure them, and they end up giving in a grudging mood with regret later. Now, ignorance, it's interesting that ignorance especially is the wrong time and wrong place. So as soon as you have the wrong time and the wrong place, you've got some influence in the mode of ignorance. And to an unworthy person, or without proper attention and respect. So it could be the right time, place, and person, but it's like, okay, here, this is for you. So mode of goodness charity is, uh, it's, it's very voluntary. It's very voluntary. It's, I want to do this because it's the right thing to do. Now, it's still selfish. In the mode of goodness, the purpose is for inner equilibrium and happiness, uh, rather than in bhakti, where the purpose is for Krishna's happiness. But at least we should be encouraging people to give in this mode of goodness to Krishna. Kinds of renunciation. So in bhakti, renunciation is rejecting anything that displeases Krishna, even if it would normally be in the mode of goodness. 
even if it would normally be in the mode of goodness. So the Yagyik Brahmanis, they rejected the service of their husbands, which is very much serving the superiors is very much in the mode of goodness. Bali rejected the advice of his guru, worshipping your guru is in the mode of goodness. So those in bhakti may even reject something that's in the mode of goodness. As we said, you know, in the mode of goodness, you're interested in equilibrium and balance, in the mode of passion, more, better, more, better. But those in bhakti will even reject that uh, equilibrium and balance to do more and better for Krishna. So goodness, duty done because it ought to be done. Again, this ought is not obligation, but it's because this is the way the universe works. This is how everything will be in balance and harmony. This is so I will feel happy inside. And in the mode of goodness, one gives up material association. And the main thing one's renouncing in goodness is the fruits of one's work. I'm doing this just to get liberation. I'm not doing this to enjoy the result. I'm not doing this to enjoy the result. In passion, one gives up work because it's troublesome or out of fear of bodily discomfort. So, you know, it's serving my husband, taking care of my children, going to a job, all these things are so much trouble. Um, basically, in the mode of passion, because one's focus is on the fruit, if, if one sort of weighs it and says, okay, this fruit is not worth this sacrifice. I'm sacrificing way too much for this result. Okay, I won't do the sacrifice. Whereas in the mode of goodness, you're not sacrificing for a result in the world. You're sacrificing because it's the injunction of the scriptures. It's to please Krishna. So, therefore, the mode of passion, um, it, it, may not, it doesn't lead to elevation. It just keeps you on the earthly planet. You know, I'm, I'm working so hard for my family, so my wife will have sex with me, and my children will uh, regard me. And then if that doesn't happen, well, why should I work so hard? Nobody notices anyway. Nobody cares anyway. What's the point of working so hard? Whereas in the mode of goodness, one says, I'm working hard so Krishna will be pleased. Even if nobody else appreciates it and nobody else sees it, it doesn't matter. In the mode of, of ignorance, uh, you give up your, the, the prescribed, you don't follow prescribed duties. You know, okay, I, I'm going to have, have sex without marriage. I'm going to have sex without you know, children. I'm going to make money through gambling or, or stealing. You know, I'm not going to have a job. I'm just going to collect welfare. And, you know, just, or just whimsical. Just the, I, I'm, I'm going to renounce the, the duties given to me by God. Understanding. So in bhakti, one knows how to please Krishna. We had such a, a nice quote the other day where a devotee asked Prabhupada, you know, what service can I do to please the guru? And Prabhupada said, if you do the regular service of chanting 16 rounds, following the regular principles. You will know how to please Krishna. He says in the Bhagavad Gita, one's duty becomes self-illumined by the grace of the Lord. Always that people, what, what can I do? You'll know. You'll know. If your consciousness is in bhakti, it's clear. You're out in the sunlight, and you know, you see everything. In goodness, uh, you've got glass. Not completely clear. But you can also see what's to be done and what's not to be done, what's to be feared, what's not to be feared, what's binding, what's liberating. So in the mode of goodness, you've got clear vision, clear understanding. You know what's right and what's wrong. You can see the results of your action. And in passion, you can see some things. You know, you've got translucent glass, but, but you get very confused. So people in passion, they'll, they'll be against the death penalty. You know, they, oh, we're going to be compassionate. And, and then there'll be pro-abortion. Oh, that's compassion for the woman. You know, they get very, very confused. So sometimes people in passion get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. 
so that you know they may be a vegetarian who's in favor of abortion so they're they're very mixed and the mode of ignorance they've just got it backwards they don't see anything they think what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right oh he insulted me I can insult him back and they're always going in the wrong direction you know we're going to feed the world with with pesticides we're going to stop unwanted children with abortion so it's all backwards and whatever they do has the opposite result and in knowledge in bhakti premanjana charita bhakti vilochanena santasa daivarudayeshu vilokayanti yamshama syndrome one sees bhagavan and his energies in goodness one sees brahman or padamatma and in passion one sees okay here's a hawaiian here's a peruvian here's a filipino here's a indian you know here's a south indian a north indian here's a dog etc and in ignorance, you don't even think about these things. You just uh, go to work, you know, go to the factory, go to work, come home, drink some beer, watch football, have sex, go to sleep. You know, so the person in ignorance doesn't even think about philosophy. Knowledge and goodness is seeing the paramatma in everyone's heart. Then in bhakti, action is according to the scriptures to please Krishna. What kind of action does uh, Shastra Sadhu Guru say? And then I do that for Krishna's pleasure. In goodness... One's action is also regulated by the scriptures and without personal attachment, love, or hatred. So in bhakti, there is attachment and love for Krishna. <laughs> in goodness, there's it's, there, this neutrality state. There's this, this equilibrium. And in passion, there's great action, great effort for some reward for my senses. And in ignorance, you don't follow the scriptures. So bhakti, goodness, and passion, you're following the scriptures. Ignorance, you're not following the scriptures. And you just don't care. You just don't care. You know, I'm just going to eat this hamburger, and if it gives me a heart attack in this life, if I have to suffer in hell, I just don't care. You know, this is really the uh, karma or lust is very dominant in this mode of ignorance. I want this enjoyment, and I don't care what the result is. And then duty. What is my duty? In bhakti, it's with I'm Krishna's servant. That's my identity, and there's unlimited expanding bliss. In goodness, there's simply, I'm not this body, I'm not part of this world, uh, but there's not really a sense of being Krishna's servant. And I think something that's often misunderstood, because those in passion have great endeavor and great action, people think that determination is higher in the mode of passion, but it's not. Because in goodness, a person has great determination and enthusiasm that's not affected by success or failure because they're not working for success or failure. So the person in goodness has steady, great determination and enthusiasm. In the mode of passion, the sense of duty is according to how, how much work it is and how much you think you're going to get the fruits. And it's full of greed and envy. I want this. Why does someone else have this? When there's sorrow and joy on the path, one's duty gets affected. When one's joyful, one does one's duty better. When one's sorrowful, uh, oh, I'm not going to do my duty today. I'm upset. I'm not getting the fruit that I want. And in ignorance, uh, the duty is just cheating. Cheating, stealing, not caring for the scriptures, uh, very stubborn, very expert in insulting others. So envy has really reached, reached a fever pitch here of always insulting and just lazy, morose, putting it off. That's very much duty in the mode of ignorance. And determination, as we were saying in bhakti, uninterrupted, unmotivated, ahoy tu kia pritiyata. 
and only for love. And goodness determination is unbreakable. If one wants really strong determination, one has to be in bhakti or in sattva. And the goodness, one's life, mind, and senses are controlled. Passion, one will be determined if I'm going to get some fruit of result. If I'm going to get something in dharma, artha, kama, uh, then I'll work hard. And if I think I won't, I won't. And in ignorance, uh, there's very little determination at all. It's got to be, you know, easy. I just, well, I'd like to do it someday. (laughs) Prabhupada says, what can be done in, in an hour they put off for years? And in bhakti, there's unbounded happiness experiences with our spiritual senses. Goodness is poison in the beginning because it involves sense control and detachment, but it awakens one to self-realization, awakens one to the Brahman conception of life. The happiness, and it's, it's very internal. The happiness and goodness is very, very internal, and it's, it's that one just feels this sense of, of peace and detachment, equanimity, and freedom. There's a lot of freedom in the mode of goodness. Passion, the happiness is, you know, good food, sex, nice clothing, beautiful house, um, everybody telling me how wonderful I am, my name in history books. And it seems very nice in the beginning, but in the end, uh, it just leads to repeated birth and death and disappointment. And in ignorance, there's not even legitimate sense happiness. So you're not even, you're, you're really not even getting pious sense happiness. The food you eat isn't good, the, the sex you have is illicit, the clothes you have are, are, are from synthetics, the food you eat, I mean, everything is, it's not even real happiness, and you just feel happiness from being lazy and rebellious and being an illusion. So, happiness and goodness as intermental peace. So, it looks like poison, but happiness and passion is really poison. In ignorance, we just think about, oh, someday I'd like to be rich, someday I'd like to be famous. And we try to forget ourselves if we wish we were dead, sleeping too much. Um, At least in passion, there's a mental idea of happiness. In ignorance, there's nothing. So persons in bhakti, and this is mostly from the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam, so they're connected with Krishna in intense friendship and affection, completely in knowledge. Uh, not at all agitated by material happiness and distress, unconquerable by meditation on Krishna, and don't even care for liberation. So they won't even do the duties for liberation beyond the rules and regulations. And in goodness, self-satisfied, merciful, friendly, peaceful, sober, tolerant. They also take their pleasure from within, but rather than it coming from love, it's coming from a sense of equanimity a sense of knowledge, a sense of of real inner power. And they want ritual performances and severe austerities. They're not very violent. They're not very lusty. They're interested is primarily in dharma, artakama, moksha. And they take pleasure in knowledge and austerity. In passion, they want glory. They're very noble persons. They study the Vedas, have opulence, have large families, enjoy life with vigor, uh, they're very devoted to their duties, but they have ulterior motives in mixed passion ignorance. So we start seeing greed, dissatisfaction, false pride, hypocrisy, and envy. And in ignorance, greedy, ill-behaved, merciless, fighting without any reason, which is very dominant today, unfortunate, obsessed with material desires, cheating, lying, sloth, sleepiness, violence, depression, lamentation, bewilderment, fear, and poverty. So here are the qualities of goodness that Krishna gives in the Bhagavad Gita. Peaceful, self-controlled, austere, pure, tolerant, honest, knowledgeable, wise, and religious. 
So Shiva Ramaraj writes about attaining the stage of nishta, which is described in the Bhagavatam, as when one has at least 50% of the mode of goodness. And I really like his description here, which I'd like to read. He said, Before devotees attain steadiness, the presence of abundant unwanted habits makes them lightning rods for the modes of passion and ignorance. Awake or asleep, such devotees are easy targets. When passion predominates, they feel sexually disturbed and therefore humiliated. When goodness defeats passion, they find themselves hoping for imminent deliverance from material life. But when ignorance defeats goodness and passion, such devotees despair. Until most of their bad habits leave the heart, devotees are unable to become steady in their spiritual life, no matter how hard they try. This is the unsteady state. He says, but as unwanted habits leave the heart, passion and ignorance decrease proportionally in the mode of it. Goodness becomes increasingly dominant. The obstacles of sleep, distraction, indifference, inclination to sin, and thirst for sense enjoyment dwindle to insignificance. And unlike the lower modes, goodness is conducive to spiritual life, and the devotee becomes happy, as Bhagavatam says, as soon as irrevocable loving service is established in the heart. The effects of nature's modes of passion and ignorance, such as lust, desire, and hankering, disappear from the heart. Then the devotee is established in goodness, and he becomes completely happy. Now this verse shows us that we come to goodness through bhakti, rather than coming to bhakti through goodness. So coming to the idea of coming to bhakti through goodness is mixed bhakti. If we think, first I'm going to cultivate the mode of goodness, that will be doing karma yoga, jnana yoga, or jnana yoga, and that will lead me to bhakti. That's not pure bhakti. Pure bhakti is by doing pure bhakti, uh, I will decrease the passion and ignorance in my heart. Goodness will start predominating, at least as we said, 50% goodness, and then gradually bhakti becomes total. So, to come to goodness, we must get rid of the dirt in our heart. And these are the various dirts, especially this is explained by Bhakti Vinod. The identity of body and mind, uh, God is impersonal, thinking the world is pleasurable, thinking spiritual perfection is simply some religious rituals, wanting to dominate material nature, possessiveness, fame, envy, deceit, fault-finding, attachment to things. Uh, for Krishna, material desires for objects, heavenly comforts, mystic powers, and salvation. And our enemies of lust, anger, greed, illusion, pride, and envy. Waves of distress, illusion, hunger, thirst, old age, and death. So our process, of course, is we all know our process, good association with people who are in bhakti, and be absorbed with affection in God's form, name, scriptures, and holy places. Absorption with affection. Our bhakti process is one of attachment. The mode of goodness is detachment. Passion and, and ignorance and bhakti are all about attachment. Goodness is just about detachment. So we want to follow the process and make our choices according to guru and scripture. So, going back to today's verse, that... The places where one lives is according to one's swabhava, according to one's nature. So whether if our nature is in bhakti, in goodness, in passion, ignorance, some mixture of those, that will determine our place. And there's a place for everyone. There's a place for everyone. There's a planet for everyone. And within that planet, there's varieties of bodies. Within those bodies, there's varieties of life situations and life stories. And all of these are determined according to our kind and level of consciousness. Okay, you could stop the screen sharing, Ramananda, and if we have any um, questions, comments, etc.
Okay. Is that right, Prabhu? You can't see anything? That's right. Okay. okay, yes, how may I serve you? All right, well, so Karsh Prabhu has a question. Um, I guess he doesn't have a mic, I suppose. Anyway, okay, uh, so Arjuna wanted to change modes by becoming renunciate, but he was told uh, he can't change the modes. So what this use of studying modes, if he is in ignorance, he will stay there. He cannot change it. I, oh, I, I can't use it. Okay, so he doesn't have a mic. Okay, I think this is I think this is confusing um, some things about what our swabhava is. So, um, if we can maybe I might find something else that I would want to share. Just give me a minute here. particular nature. So the nature in Ayurveda is described as vata, pitta, or kapa. And these are also modes, because Prabhupada says in 7.119, fire represents the mode of goodness, water the mode of passion, and sky represents the mode of ignorance. So that would mean that pitta, fiery, is sattvagun, vata, airy, airy is tamagun, and kapa, watery, is rajagun. However, we can see that someone with those natures can act according to the different modes. So even someone who's got a vata nature, which is primarily in the mode of ignorance, in the mode of goodness, they can still have these qualities of being energetic, adaptable, flexible, quick in comprehension, honest, joyful. And in passion, they'll be indecisive, unreliable, hyperactive, agitated. And in ignorance, they'll be fearful, dishonest, secretive, depressed, and so forth. So one can take the basic nature that one has and use it in these different modes. Or one can use it for bhakti. And we see here that in the mode of goodness, people of different natures will be, whoever's running the water, could you turn that off or turn off your mic, that if somebody is, is in the mode of goodness, it will appear differently according to their nature. So humility is not going to appear the same for all people. I mean, here we have the pitta person, Pitta is mode of goodness, and their um, behavior when they use that nature in goodness is going to be a little different than those in the mode of than those who are airy or those who are watery. Okay, you can stop sharing my screen. 
I'm sorry, it was not shared. I just anyway, we weren't sharing. So. You weren't sharing. All right. Well, then no, share just, it. Listen. Then just share it for a minute so you can look at this chart. All right. Good. Uh, Tell me when it shared. Okay. Now you can accept. I have to accept. All oh, right. 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 Okay. Here we go. So here we have the different natures, Vata, Pitta, and Kappa, and they can be exhibited in goodness, passion, or ignorance. So you can say, all right, Arjuna is a Ksatriya, Ksatriya is a king, is primarily in the mode of passion. So he's not, what he's not going to be able to change is he's not going to be able to change that he wants to fight, that he wants to conquer, that he wants to rule, that he wants to protect. He can't change that. He can't change that his sphere of action is people and taking care of people. He's not going to be able to become an intellectual scholar. That, that's not going to happen. All right? He's not going to become a craftsman. Okay, we could stop sharing the screen. How do we stop it? Okay, thank you. But he can change his consciousness. I mean, one thing you'll notice is that the main difference between goodness and passion is just the consciousness and the motive. And sometimes, even in ignorance, the activities will seem similar. You know, you can have people in, in bhakti, goodness, passion, ignorance, and they all work at the same bank. And they all appear to be doing the same job, but the consciousness is very different. Also, what Krishna is advising is not so much to go from passion to goodness to our goodness. He wasn't, he wasn't really advising that. He was saying, come to bhakti. Now, anybody can come to bhakti because you can do uh, work that would normally be given to those in the mode of ignorance. You know, you can be collecting the trash and you can do that in bhakti. Jayananda used to be the garbage man in our San Francisco temple. And there was uh, one guest decided to join because he said, if your garbage men are so happy, then just imagine everybody else. So that's a job that's usually done um, in, in the mode of ignorance. But when done for Krishna, then it's transcendental. So Krishna said, do your same duties that you would do under the spell of the mode of passion, but change the motivation, change the motivation to bhakti. Now what happens when you change the motivation to bhakti is you start becoming more and more and more influenced by the mode of goodness. And then when you say, well, if I come to bhakti and I start becoming more and more influenced by the mode of goodness, then won't I just not care about doing all these duties that come from the different modes of nature? In fact, I won't even care about doing mode of goodness duties anymore. And the answer to that is a resounding yes. That as you come more and more to bhakti, you will lose interest in doing anything in the world because everything we have been doing in the world for thousands of millions of lifetimes has been for our selfish benefit. And therefore you will say, what do I need to do this anymore? Therefore, Krishna says, those in the motive and those in bhakti, they have no need to perform any work in the world. But then he also says they have no reason to give it up. So those who come to bhakti also do not just say, well, I'm just going to walk away from these things. But they start saying, I'm no longer doing this with any care for myself. I'm no longer doing this for fame. I'm no longer doing it for money. I'm no longer doing it to have a happy family. And in fact, I could give it up in a moment, and it wouldn't matter. Whether I do it or I don't do it is irrelevant. I'm not getting my taste, my rasa, 
from the work I'm doing, I'm getting my taste or not my rasa from my relationship with Krishna. And that kind of detachment builds in somebody who's doing work for Krishna. Even though the work they're doing and the activities they're doing are still going to be what they would do under their natural modes. Does that answer your question? Uh, Harsh can't talk, but uh, he's fine with it. Okay, I think we can take one more. It was a long class, and so just one more question. Can I ask two quickies about the mode of ignorance? I don't know how fast they are, but we can try. Okay, uh, poverty was one of the symptoms that you mentioned for uh, Lagoon. However, we see those in the mode of uh, goodness are mostly in poverty. And then, uh, can you give examples about in uh, Tamagun, giving in charity, uh, examples of uh, the wrong time or the wrong place? I can't even think of the wrong time. Okay, well, let's answer the second question first because that's easier. You know, you're in the middle of eating and I want to give you a donation. You know, you're rushing to the plane, you're. I, I'm just. Uh, you know, you're in the in the toilet room. You're in the middle of a conversation with somebody. You're not open and you're not open and receptive. Think of it as like trying to talk to somebody who's busy. So, uh, you know, or, or insisting that I help you now when you don't want to be helped now. If you've ever, seen, if someone's ever said, you know, well, well, I, I want to help you do this, and you say, okay, I, I thank you for your help, but I can't use it right now. And no, no, I I, I want to help you now. If you won't let me help you now, I'm not going to help you at all. But I don't. I, that's not what I'm doing right now. I'm doing something else right now. So it's a, it's imp, an imposition. But I'm helping you. I'm doing something good for you. You know, at the, at the wrong place. Uh, you're not going to hand somebody a lot of money in a public place. Uh, you know, or there might be all sorts of improper places. You're just not considering. You just it's just very self-centered. You're not really thinking of what will benefit the other person and how they'll be willing to receive it. And then your first question was about poverty. So generally, the mode of passion and the mo- uh, leads to wealth because persons in the mode of passion are, first of all, doing good karma. And second of all, they're doing good karma for the purpose of amassing wealth. So the more that one is in the mode of passion, the more wealthy one will become. Now, in the mode of goodness... There, it's either pure akarma, which means you're trying for liberation, or in the mode of goodness, you're trying for something heavenly. So that's a kind of opulence. The heavenly planets are certainly very opulent and very wealthy. But the person in the mode of goodness is not very much interested in material wealth. So a person in the mode of goodness may have the capacity to earn a lot of material wealth, but it's not their interest. Their interest is equibalance and, and equilibrium. So even though they may deserve it by their karma it's not particularly their interest so even if their wealth is sitting there waiting for them they may not take all of it or they may take all of it and simply redistribute it and mode of ignorance tends to lead to poverty because those in the mode of ignorance do sinful work so sinful work tends to result in poverty Prabhupada states many times that our amount of, of wealth in this life is dependent on uh, how much charity we've given in this life and in previous lives and to whom. So if you've given in charity to a great Vaishnava, then you get back unlimited wealth. If you've given charity to a worthy person, you may get it back a thousand times and so forth. Uh, Almost any giving of charity, at least you get back an equal amount of wealth. And that may happen in this life and it may happen in, in our next lives. 
and poverty in this life implies some lack of charity in the past, which makes sense because if I use things just for myself, then Krishna will give me only as much as I barely need to survive. And as much as I share, he'll give me more. You know, if you gave a kid 10 cookies and they ate them all, then you probably only give them two cookies next time. If you gave them 10 cookies and they shared them with the family, then you're likely to give them 10 cookies next time. So that's very much the case. Of course, we have to remember that for the devotee, we're not only working with karma, we're also working with the Krishna factor. And so Krishna may decide at certain times of our life that uh, some people for their whole life, that they should have various degrees of wealth. And I mean, I've seen in, in my own life in Krishna consciousness times where I was just in absolutely abject poverty, where I literally had, you know, not a penny to my name. There it was there was a time I remember when my husband said, How much money do you have? And we our total amount of wealth was seventy three cents. So and, and what was fascinating was that six months later we had enough money for a down payment on a house. So the, these things come and go uh, with the, with our karma or with Krishna's desire for us at a particular time. And the devotee serves Krishna whether in poverty or in wealth, just like Sudama Brahmana. Sudama Brahmana served Krishna when he was in poverty, and Sudama Brahmana served Krishna when he was in wealth. Uh, Srila Prabhupada went through times of poverty also. And Prabhupada said that when, when he was thrust into poverty, at first he thought that he had displeased Krishna and he said he couldn't understand it. Why did Krishna take everything away? Prabhupada's intention was to become wealthy, to use it to start his guru's preaching mission. That was Prabhupada's intention. And certainly Prabhupada's not suffering from some result of past karma. But he saw his poverty as a way of Krishna saying to him, I want you to start this movement without material wealth. I want you to start this movement with another kind of shakti. And Prabhupada's poverty for four and a half, five years was so acute and that he often didn't have even one rupee. He had no fixed residence. I mean, it was very acute poverty. He wasn't living on the street, but he was certainly homeless and without any income, without any issues. It was very extreme. He wasn't even able to work on his books during that time. He was just writing magazines and etc., etc. Then probably spent another four or five years in a slightly less poverty-stricken condition living at the Radhadamadar temple where he paid five rupees a month for the rent and he was working on his books, but it was still, I'd say, pretty much what we would call poverty. And when Prabhupada came to America, he was certainly in poverty for quite some time. So that may be, you know, Krishna is working with us in a particular way. Sometimes when we have wealth, we think that by my wealth, uh, therefore I can do a lot of service and by my wealth I can conquer the world. And we may not bring out different qualities in us. Um, I mean, another personal experience I had with poverty and, and wealth is when I was working on the Learn to Read books, and when I started working on those books, I really had nothing. You know, I, I had a, a very, very small amount of money I had been given in donations. I had no kind of regular income and no hope of any regular income, and I wanted to do this major, major, major project. So I didn't have any people to work with. I really didn't have anything. And, and I was given a room to work in. You know, I had a computer... And I started working without any hope at all on a material level, you know, one in a billion of being able to do the project. And Krishna gave the, the wealth as I needed it. He gave the money, he gave the manpower, he gave the intelligence, he gave the connections. You know, basically as it was needed. And we ended up doing a project 
that would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars with, with far less money. People donated the, the money or they donated the expertise a lot. We ended up having 200 people work on the project. And it was a real lesson to me that, because for years before that, I thought first I've got to have you know half a million dollars to do this project. And I was trying in vain to collect that amount of money. And it, it, it wasn't what happened. It wasn't the way it happened. And it, it gave me a real sense of, I, I had to be very dependent. You know, sometimes when you have a lot of money, you're thinking, I don't have to depend on Krishna. So sometimes Krishna puts his devotees in poverty. We become dependent on an, in a different way. We're working with a different energy. We're, we're working with a different mentality. And then Krishna may say, okay, now you can have money and keep that mentality. So it's it, it, it's the same thing with you know not just poverty of money, but poverty of, of health, uh, poverty of association. So Krishna gives and takes these. Sometimes there's no good association. Sometimes we're surrounded by amazing association. Sometimes we're managing projects of millions of dollars, and sometimes we don't have. We only have seventy three cents in our wallet, and and the devotee is just in all circumstances. Krishna, I will serve you. In all circumstances, I'm going to be your devotee if I have a beautiful home and not beautiful home. Another thing that I, I personally realized about uh, poverty and wealth is it's not cash. How much poverty and wealth we have, because Prabhupada says it's predestined according to our degree of charity, is not talking about money. It's talking about a standard of living. And I, I've noticed that even uh, you can be in a situation where you're very cash poor, where by any kind of modern statistics, you'd be living way below the poverty line. And you can have a very nice material situation. I mean, I, I know some devotees who don't have a lot of money or a lot of income, but part of their job is a house sit for a very wealthy person in return for taking care of his property and animals. And, and they're living in a mansion, uh, living a very opulent, comfortable life, even though they don't have much money. So you see this many times, that Krishna may provide for us in ways other than cash. And if we want to look at our wealth, I think it's better to look at our stand, what's our standard of living? What kind of food am I eating? What kind of clothes am I wearing? What kind of furniture do I have? I want to speak of the intangible wealth. What kind of friends do I have? What kind of association do I have? Uh, what, what kind of service have I, am I being given? That's much more a measure of, of wealth than anything else. And you see the opposite. You see people who have a, a large income and a lot of money and who are really living in a kind of poverty. I mean, I, I had a friend, a devoted friend, who made a lot of money every month. He had a very large income, very, very good at making money. And the man was always in, in want. Basically, he always had large expenses, uh, things that would just take that money away. So it would come in and boy, it would just flow out. So even though on paper he should have been a very wealthy man, actually his situation was very much in poverty. And you see this, you know, some person who's been married three times and has to pay alimony to, to two wives or something. So he should be rich, but he's in poverty. Or just someone who's, they have a lot of money, but they're working so hard, they never get to be in their beautiful house. They have this gorgeous mansion that they, all they're doing is sleep. You know, they might as well be in some shabby hotel for sleeping because they, they don't spend any time there. They're always rushing around with their jobs, so they're eating unhealthy food. And because of their, their greed for money, 
people don't like them, they don't have any real friends, people are always criticizing them behind their back. So they may have a lot of wealth in terms of cash, but their life is full of poverty. And their life is full of suffering, their, their standard of living is, is very low. So I think we need to, to look at all of those, those factors. But in generally, bad karma does lead to poverty. So people in the mode of ignorance are going to tend to take birth in a situation where they're impoverished, they're diseased, uh, there's criminality. And even in this life, mode of ignorance can lead to poverty because people in the mode of ignorance are very lazy and they don't want to work at an honest job. I mean, sometimes we find devotees uh, in the name of detachment actually promoting the mode of ignorance. You know, well, I don't, I don't want to work for the, for the non-devotees, I don't want to have an honest job. And we many times see this, that devotees will be in poverty not because it's really Krishna's will and not because they're detached renounced ascetics, but just because they're lazy. And they, they bring their own poverty. And this, again, this is true not only in money, but it's in terms of standard of living. You know, if you're too lazy to clean your house, and you're too lazy to wash your clothes, and you're too lazy to put artwork on the walls, and you know, you're too lazy to buy good food and cook good food. So then you end up in a, in a kind of poverty uh, due to the motivations. So is that that's a lengthy answer, but I hope that that helps. Okay, I do think we need to end now. Thank you very much, Sri Prabhupada Kija.